Hey everybody, you're listening to so many sequels or watching it. I don't know. I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. We're doing this show differently, as you can tell if you are watching it. I don't know if you'll be able to tell if you're listening, but we'll go ahead and walk you through it. So we're conducting this show through Zoom uh, remotely. We're doing the whole, everybody's social distancing right now. Everybody's in their own quarantine situation. So we thought it would be best to um, try doing the show this way so that we could still record and also be as safe as possible. So we figured yep. this out, and so far, it seems to be going okay. You'll notice Andrew's in another dimension if you are watching yes. it. He's calling. He, he secluded himself so much, he went to Vormir. Yeah, and, he is uh, reporting from space. Yeah. 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 Uh, what's weird is, like, Andrew, how old is your computer? 47. 2012. Oh, well, it is over the, Never mind. I was going to say yeah. my computer is, like, five years old, but... Mm, yeah. Mm. Mine's got you beat by a country mile. <laughs> So it kind of matches with our actual age. <laughs> Speaking of old things, we're talking about Men in Black 2 today. Yeah. Black Suit. Yeah. We're coming. Or we talk about We talked about Men in Black already. Talk about Men in Black 2 this week. Um, it is a movie that exists. <laughs> it came out in 2002, several years after the first one. Still directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Still starring Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. But this time, adding the, uh, uh, I don't know, the brilliance of Johnny Knoxville? If we want to call it brilliance? Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's a strong word. That's, Johnny Knoxville in no. sort of the uh, the prime of his career. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh, Rosario Dawson, she is actually good. She's always <laughs> yes. good. It was a breakout, I would say. <clears throat> and a handful of others. So this movie is... Um, mm, I don't know. Listen, I just got to say it. None of us really like it. No, it's <laughs> well. Some may like it more than straw. others, but I don't think any of us really liked it. Sucks through a straw. Well, no. I don't know Listen. quite about that, but it's there, not. Uh, it's not. It, it's not quite up to the level of the first one. This no. had potential that it, it missed. Did. I think the story's good. I think, I think the story's that, better than the first uh, one. Yeah. That's a strong one. I don't think the execution is as good as the first one. Execution is definitely not as good. I think the story is good. They had a good plot. They had a good idea, but they yeah. dumbed it down so much that it hurt to watch it. Agree. I absolutely agree. So, David, you said a... you like this story better. Tell mm-hmm. tell us the basics of this plot, and, okay. and then explain why you think it's better than the first one. So, in the origins, uh, in the early, early days of the Men in Black, a uh, secret event happened that uh, very few people know about, except for maybe uh, some crazy crackpot conspiracists who believe that an alien race visited Earth in the 1960s and left behind a relic, uh, or as far as they know, the the men in black helped remove a rel- a special relic from earth that was being sought after by this uh evil creature and now here we are all these years later and the creature has returned because they cannot find the item so they have come back to the one place where they knew it was last for sure and it is just in time for the one person who can actually uh help save the day has been recently retired. And so now our hero has to go back and find his partner 
and bring him back into uh, the fold so that they can save the earth. And I think that, is that my dog or one of y'all's? It's your dog. <laughs> it's your dog. This guy making an appearance. I mean, we have my headphones in, so it sounds like that dog's like a thousand miles away. <laughs> Stop that barking. Um, so, uh, I think that, that that's, a, a, to me, a more interesting story than the first one, because while the first one is nice, this one kind of leads, leans on the idea that the men in black have been around for a long time. They've been around for, there's a history there, there's background, there's, there's, there's uh, origin elements for what made Kay who he is. It's a mystery versus uh, what you get in Men in Black 1, which has mystery elements, but is mostly just like uh, a buddy cop film. And here's the first case, and it's this you know bug that's trying to get this uh, item, and he's trying to get away. That's more or less the, 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 the bare bones of that. Whereas this, even if you look at it at bare bones, it's like this is a story about having to uh, uh, bring somebody back who knows something, and there's that whole mystery element to it. I think that's a better story. I think that it gets bogged down with a lot of childish humor that unfortunately, I feel like this movie, they really tried to play in more into having Will Smith. Whereas the first movie was like, we have Will Smith, let's make this movie work. This one's like, Will, just do whatever you think's funny. And so it's a lot of Will Smith improv, it feels like. So they talk a, yeah. a little bit about this um, movie yeah. and the production and the creation of it. Um, David Kep, uh, he, he was originally involved and then left to do Panic Room and Spider-Man. Um, the script was written by Robert Gordon and then revised by Barry Fanero. And they talked about how Gordon deliberately... Um, avoided any kind of like pop culture references. And then during the reef uh, or the refining process, that Fenero guy threw them in there and, and God, those are just so bad. Like, you know, the, as a kid, it was 2012. Is that right? 2002. 2002. Oh, okay. You would have been. So, 12. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was thinking. So like 12 year old Garrett laughed at all of those, at those moments, like the part where Frank is singing, who let the dogs out in the car hilarious for a 12 year old as yeah. a 30 year old it's just awful it's, because it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't vibe with the men in black action adventure sci-fi it's just it comes across as this stupid thing in there for kids and it's it's just not good and, and yeah. while these movies are meant to be funny not that kind of funny like that's not the humor that i want in the men in black and it does not come across well it's the risk you run with topical references you know that's what was wrong with deadpool too the part where uh, yep. the other yeah. part where Frank sings and he sings uh, uh, "I Will Survive" is slightly funnier because it's an older song, so it's not mm-hmm. as you know it, it's not dated in the same way. But it, it felt like they didn't have any sort of idea of what to do with Jay without Kay. So like everybody who they bring in to sort of be like the the other character with him was just a placeholder for a long yeah. time. I, I, I want to add that maybe I think it's probably due to studio interference because this is one of those times where it's just like, yeah, um, we have this character here, but let's make it as funny as possible. Not really caring what type of content we put in there and, but make it PG 13, make it aimed towards kids. And I think that's what they were going towards where men in black is sort of, an adult, not really an adultish, but it's like 
it's it's more it's targeted to more adults than it is to children and i think they're trying to play off of that uh they're trying to play off of the uh the, the tv show yeah maybe this is interesting they uh barry sonnenfeld talks about um he did wild wild west correct yeah yeah so he talked about the the movie and he said he took issue with the producer's focus of the love story between Will Smith and Rosario Dawson's character saying, quote, I learned on wild wild West that audience didn't want to see Will Smith as the straight man. And until Tommy comes back into the movie, by definition, Will is the straight man. And I, yeah. and I mean, you got to agree with that. Like Will Smith is a, I mean, as good as they are back and forth, like um, Will Smith is the Costello to Tommy Lee Jones Abbott. Like they're both funny in their own ways, but he is definitely not the straight man. He's, he's too, um, not at that point over the top to an extent. And, and I mean that in a good way, but like, like, especially compared to Tommy Lee, where if he's got to be the one that's the straight man, it's just not as good. If it's not a drama. No, he definitely didn't have the, uh, that level of, of command at that point in his career. Maybe today you could, you could, you could reverse a role there with having Will Smith be your straight man and having a younger, uh, more eccentric comedian come in and be the, the, the joke to Will's straight man. But it's hard to beat when you know what Will Smith can do. And so they're like, you know, they bring in Putty, they bring in Frank, the pug, they bring in Rip Torn, the worms, whoever they can. And in a situation too, where they're doing the Rosario Dawson uh, love meetup, you know, thing. Yeah. Audiences want to see Will Smith be funny. And so like him having to be like, y'all, yo, what are you doing? You know, like it's not, people don't want to see that. I, I get it. Well, and I, I personally like the romance interest between um, Jay and Rosario Dawson. Laura? Laura, Laura I think. Laura. Yeah. Because it's very similar. What they do throughout these movies is they show you the similarities between and Jay so well. Like what Will Smith is currently going through is the exact same thing that Hay went through in the initial parts of this whole saga where he let his emotions and his love for this alien take over and he kept the light on Earth because he loved that alien. And now Will is faced with this same decision of, I love this woman, but for the fate of the earth, I have to let her go. And and you just see them continue, K and J, you see them continue to bond over such shared storylines while still having those personality differences. They have those same shared experiences, which only brings them closer, which brings us as an audience to really enjoy and appreciate their dynamic a lot more. And that's what I say whenever this movie has a lot of potential. The, The elements are there. It's just not well done overall but you can certainly see what they're going to do what they're yeah. trying to do and i mean and when you have a duo that has such i mean like i don't think people would have picked it you know even in 1997 when you have a duo that has such a natural chemistry as tommy lee jones and will smith do to sort of you know and we'll get into this with the future with future movies to sort of like try to do to recreate the magic without using that is very difficult. So this movie 
it's a while before K shows up and you start to get that dynamic again. And I think the movie picks yeah. up once K comes back. It's hard to believe that if I read the, if I read some of my, my stuff, right. That it was even later in the movie before K was supposed mm-hmm. to come back. He was supposed to yeah. come back really deep into the movie. Because it's Sonnenfeld's, because Sonnenfeld's talking about people not wanting to see Will during that refining process. They also brought K to the movie earlier, which again, smart because Kay didn't really change once he had his memory wiped. He just couldn't remember the aliens, but his personality and the way that he treated Will Smith or Jay, even before he knew what was going on, was very similar to what he did whenever he knew what was going on. So he kept that same personality, and it just, again, it just they just work well together. And, yeah. yeah, I think when this is something we'll have to explore a little more uh, in our next episode when we talk about Minimax Black 3, but the one thing I want to bring up to compare the two is that in both of these movies, for a significant amount of time, K does not know who Jay is. Yeah. And it works well in Men in Black 3, and it doesn't in Men in Black 2. I don't feel like in the third one there is that same uh, awkwardness between the two that exists in the second one, where mm-hmm. it's kind of uninteresting seeing them interact. So I wonder if maybe they learned from that. Or, I don't know, maybe it was just better by coincidence. But, <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree that the interaction between the two is not good until K comes back fully. I mean, it's kind of fun seeing K be a little bit like fish out of water, not really understanding and having to be sort of the rookie, but willing to play along. Mm-hmm. But once his memories start to come back, that's when you're like, it feels like back in the saddle again. Which yeah. I think well, for that, most people watch, who come to see the movie, they wanted that from the beginning. Yes, I completely agree. By the time it gets going, it's almost done. <laughs> and that's not a satisfying sequel. Yeah, once they get away from the childish humor near the end, the middle end, then the movie feels like a Men in Black movie again. It's still kind of silly compared to the other ones, but... They get rid of Frank the Pug for the most part. They, they, you know, everybody's on lockdown at MIB headquarters. And then it's just K and J trying to figure out how to solve these clues. And you get more of those two working together. Um, you know, the whole scene in the pizza parlor where Will Smith is trying to solve all these clues. Mm-hmm. And he's got, he's, you know, following these arrows that don't lead to anywhere. They lead to anchovy fillets. And Kay's just like, I hope I'm not slowing you down. He's got the keys already oh, no. there. Like, that dynamic is what people want and like not a weird random Michael Jackson appearance. You know, you could give me a little more. Patrick, yeah. You could give me a little more Patrick Warburton. He, he's fine. He's funny. Yeah. Um, he was funny. I think that they could have had a pretty good dynamic, um, but it, it, it did what it needed to do. Um, just a lot of stupid humor. I mean, even, um, Johnny Knoxville's stupid. I mean, like, why would you ever cast him? I feel like, I mean, I know this is going to give me some some hate. I don't feel like Johnny Knoxville's the worst part about this movie. He's He's not not the the worst worst part. part. He's just not that bad actor. He's he's not even necessarily had, he doesn't even necessarily have that many lines. Yeah. No, it's not. To me, it's just them trying to capitalize off Jackass, and I didn't need it. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people, for whatever reason, wanted to give Johnny Knoxville a legitimate shot at acting, and I don't really get it. But no, because it never worked. <laughs> the same time period of like Dukes of Hazard, and it never, it never really caught on. And I, I appreciate that he seemed to want to do it. That's always that's nice of him, I guess. But I mean, 
What do you, I mean, I don't, I didn't expect much. If now when I was 12, I also didn't give a crap. No. If anything, I feel like the movie is a lazy effort because it's a lazy effort to try to, to, to wrangle up all these people and try to be as funny as possible. And it doesn't work. And yeah, there, it really doesn't, it really doesn't start to get good until about maybe two thirds of the way in. Yeah. There's too much winking to the audience. I yeah. think. Yeah. I mean, and, and like Johnny Knoxville is, is not just a cameo. He's like a, an actor in the movie, but it does feel like a wink. And then there's that Michael Jackson thing that was mentioned. That's like, Hey, you know, the guy that you think's weird. Yeah. Get he's it. An alien. Get it. I mean, he's an alien. I mean, agent had that in the first movie, you know, you see Martha Stewart yeah. cooking on the TV. You hear, right, you know, the, right, 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 right. you have Rodman a call. He knows what's going on. Right. But the difference yeah. is those are so subtle. And, and I made a note about, something in the third movie which we'll talk about next week but those are so subtle that Mm -hmm. it doesn't really come across like the difference is that these jokes are in your face and they make that the humor whereas in the other ones they have those subtle pieces where you see martha stewart on the screen but she's not a focus she's not even really mentioned at all she's just there and it's like oh she's an alien too like they just have these subtle little things that you need to pick up and that's what makes it work and then Again, as and I still think this part's funny, but again, more stupid humor is whenever they are at Jeeves and he's getting his memory back and they're doing that fake denuralizer and they're going through all of the henchmen and he's talking about the ball chinian. Like mm-hmm. that's just that's just stupid humor. It's, it's funny. Stupid. It's but baffling that it's childish. That it's PG thirteen okay, really. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's like that's borderline. You know, the they let the worm guys have such a strong part and they were just in there for stupid laughs um it's the whole scene at grand central station where they're (laughs) like the little alien race in the locker is worshiping a porn store and they all rush into this triple x yeah well that's a part of the that's part of the card that he left right yeah right but it's all has like four four things on it and they take that as commandments yeah yeah, but it's it's, just I, don't dumb. I don't mind that scene so much just because it gave us the line at the very end then during the mid credit scene where he where Kay puts him in Jay's locker at work and goes, Why oh, you put them rats in my locker, man? Yeah. I just <laughs> it makes me giggle every time. If I do want to say anything else, I will say that Lara Flynn Boyle's villain. I feel like her role was a, a, nothing but a bunch of one liners. Like all she every time you see her it's just like she says like one or two lines and then she's done and then it doesn't really emphasize anything that's why i think it's lazy it's lazy characterization and she's very b movie bad guy yeah you know yeah and i don't know if that's intentional or if that's or if that's uh, she hits a lot of cliches it's like it's like she's there as a villain just because they needed a villain and not because she really contributed much to the story no, she, i mean as now this might sound uh, insensitive but i think even by 2002 standards it's not she's not like a star power name no well i, I can't even remember so. was she on the practice or jag or something like that it was, and it was like ali mcneil uh, jag uh let's see it was the practice mm. yeah was, maybe the practice yes i think somebody else was originally cast to play that part and then she had to Whoever it was had to step away, and Laura Flynn Boyle. I was trying to find it, but I couldn't find it again. I mean, but I think I'd read that. I know Vincent D'Onofrio wasn't big star power either, but he's at least like a well-known character actor. Right. Well, he's, 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 he's held his own. 
Yeah, his villain brought something to the story. But yeah. and then you well, again, we'll talk about it. Um, I would argue that none of their villains have been like super big name people. No, um, at least at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. Laura Flynn Boyle could have just she could have done just as good as Vincent D'Onofrio or Jermaine Clement in the next one. I mean, I know that Flight of the Concords are people that I love, and I mm-hmm. think that most people have at least heard of them. But I don't think anybody would be like, "Oh yeah, that's Jermaine Clement. He's really great." Well, and I prefer, I honestly prefer it that way. I don't, I don't like it when the villain is just being distracted by star power. I want yeah. the villain to be good because they're good and not because they're somewhat famous. Agreed. And on these movies, it just kind of failed across the board. Other than I, other than I do think in Men in Black 1, that is a good villain. Yeah. Uh, I think that oh, well, we'll get into the third one next week. I I think that the yeah, and the third one he's a fine villain. Yeah. It's just there's a lot more driving that story, and I think it works yeah. better. I think here the specter of what she's supposed to be is more compelling than the actual performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the final reveal of like you know her character's final reveal is 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 good and all, mm. but um, but yeah, I mean overall. I'd argue that yeah, I don't even know. Can come back to this movie feels like an obligation two years after it should have come out. Well, I, do, I don't even, uh, looking at this story, and I don't even know if it needed a central villain. Um, you know, the race against the clock itself, trying to figure out who the light is, what the light is, to get it off Earth. You know that if it's not off of Earth at a certain time, the world's going to end. I think that a race against a clock itself is pretty good. You can have some aliens they're kind of like serlina like a group of aliens that are trying to prevent that from happening because they have some kind of vengeance but i don't think that serlina herself needed to be a central thing because you've got the fact that i mean maybe at the for the beginning maybe for the reason for like him keeping her there but you've got the race against the clock trying to get his memories back the love story and the fact that jay is torn between sending her and keeping her like all of that itself is a good enough story to where you don't necessarily need that centralized villain in in my opinion you need oh. some kind of antagonist i think that um, yeah i think they could have gotten away with that i wanted to talk about uh david cross making his second appearance yeah. in this movie franchise he's supposed to be a different character i don't know is that what kind of what we're doing here because in the first one, he worked at the morgue, and he was a creepy-looking dude yep. and was uh, gooped to the ceiling. I assumed he was killed. Shows up in this one. Uh, and then there was another part that I just picked up on watching it this time is whenever he gets neuralized by Jay, he, Jay is like, get out of your mom's house. At the end, he picks up a shovel. Yeah. And walks away. Are we led to believe that he's yeah. about to go he's kill his mom? mom? That's yeah. what I was thinking. Like, ever, ever since I saw this, it's like, he's going to go kill his mom? Like, that's another one of those, like, dumb, humorous type things. Like, isn't that, I like that. That's really funny to me. <laughs> it was subtle, but it's just so it, out of character. Because it's an unspoken, it's, it's, it's physical comedy, but it's also, like, the, the, the unbeknownst power that Jay wields with the neuralizer that he doesn't even realize. Like, he gives no specifics. He just says, move out of your mom's house. You know, right, but that leads me like to David Cross he's not going to move out of his like, mom's house. He's going to move his mom out of the house. I know, but like his it's interpretation. It's all interpretation. How his brain, 
you know, this is a messed up mind. He just like looks at his wife, takes or takes looks at uh, looks at uh, Julie the cat, takes off his glasses, and says, "You want to go to Argentina? Where was it? You want to go to Zimbabwe?" Uh, Mom, yeah, <laughs> Cambodia. That's funny. That's funny, and I don't even like David Cross. So there's that. No, what's wrong with David Cross? He's a dick. <laughs> okay. I won't okay. go into detail. What has he done to you? That's we'll talk all I about needed. It some other time. We'll, but we'll have a David Cross podcast, I guess. <laughs> How did we? Oh, oh so we we've already <laughs> talked about like the dynamic between K and J. How do we feel like Rosario Dawson did? This is like the first movie that I remember seeing her in. I'm going through her filmography and like she's done stuff before this, but this is really like her big opportunity. Based on, she well, did. she was in Josie she and the did. Pussycats, I guess, but she, she did fine. Injured? Just fine? Yeah. What's yeah. your beef with I Rosario? Mean, yes, I mean, it's Rosario, but you know, I don't think there is nothing here that would like stand out. It was just like, oh, it's a new face. And it's... Hmm. And, yeah. Interesting. And and if you want to count back to how many times you do see Rosario Dawson, uh, you count back as far back as this. Josh? I, I mean, I think I mostly agree. I don't think that there's anything like just incredible about what, what she does with this role. No, and I'll, I'll say that I think that she has, uh, there's something about a, a, a Rosario Dawson. She kind of just works wherever you put her. Um, she yeah. has a weirdly kind of like otherworldly look in this movie. Like the second that you find out she's probably an alien, you kind of go, oh yeah. Because like there's something that looks just kind of special about it, like her eyes or how she, you know, just kind of like how she looks. And so you, you don't necessarily think like alien in a bad way, but you, she definitely looks special um she doesn't do um i don't think she brings anything necessarily like groundbreaking in this but she is really but she is really solid she doesn't weigh the movie down in any way um and yeah it is one of the first times i'd ever seen her and i remember as a kid thinking like she's really pretty do i know her like i couldn't figure out like what i what i could possibly have known her from at that age pussycats but that's really the, the biggest thing that she did before this man y'all I thought she did a really good job. She has a really good dynamic with Jay. She has a really good dynamic with Kay. And she really goes along with everything really well. I think that, uh, you know, anybody, you know, just, I think the fact that she's able to just accept all of this stuff that's going on is interesting because of the fact that anybody else would be like, uh, was that alien? I don't understand. But because she is an alien, she seems to accept a lot more. And then, Tommy Lee Jones at the end, you know, looks at like that speech that he gives about her leaving and that she is the light is really touching. Um, I think that they, he sees her as like a daughter figure because of the fact that he loved her mother and he has father like action. I don't know. I thought it was really good. I thought those three did a really good job together. Yeah. She's like, you know, and I, I think, I think, I think, I think she's solid. I don't think, she, you know, like we said, like it's not, movie's not, the movie, she's not the main character though. No. So, you know, like they don't really give her a lot of meaty things to do. Like the most fun that her character really gets to have is interacting with the worm characters who yeah. are kind of, 
That's all that I had in that. I just, I just thought that she did a good job. Agree. Okay. Great. 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 Right. So we did. We didn't talk about it much in the first movie. Can we talk about the music? Let's talk about the Men in Black song. We talked about okay. it a little bit later. We got. We did a little bit, but I was basically because I knew everybody liked the song. How do we yeah. feel about this song? Nod your head. Black suits coming. How do we feel about this song? Black suits coming is a is a fan it's, favorite in this house. Um, I think the original Men in Black is obviously has a bit more uh, nostalgia for most people, mm-hmm. but Black suits coming. It's pretty catchy. Did you guys notice too? Second verse about Selena. The, the, I didn't notice. Oh. Yeah. Basically, the problem I have with the nod your head, I love nod your head. I love it to death. That, I know all the words. I rap along with Will Smith every time. Um, the problem I have with it is the song basically just gives you the whole lot of the movie. It's <laughs> like, I, it, there's not only just like the villain part, but like the whole movie is the song or the whole song is the plot of the movie. It tells you about Serlina. It tells you that she done left and that they won. It's uh, yeah, but I love it. It's, I don't want to say it's better because I don't think it's better, but I definitely listen to that one more often than I do the original. Mm. Is it better than wild wild west? Nothing's better than wild wild west. There you go. Nothing. I mean, the, the song, song is better, better than the movie. Oh yeah. Well, look, a lot of Will Smith better than the movie. Right. A lot of Will Smith songs end up being better than the movie. Yeah. But that doesn't mean the movie is bad. <laughs> oh, the Wild West is bad. Wild West is bad. <laughs> There's a lot of nostalgia going on there, but it's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this song, yeah, I it's good. I don't think it's as good as Men in Black. Mm-hmm. But it's peak Will Smith, so it's it's still pretty good. It's Men in Black just had those good vibes. Like it's it's so catchy even today. So is Nod Your Head? Yeah, I feel like it's very much a sequel. It's kind of weird because it's a sequel song. You know, like it works as a sequel to Men in Black, the first song, which you don't really get often. Which mm-hmm. is like yeah, songs yeah. that are sequels of one another. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there's elements that are callbacks. There are elements that are like he's telling you a new story. I don't know. It's fun. Yeah, it's, it's a good credit song. It's okay. It uh, peaked Andrew at number seventy-seven on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Go figure. Uh-huh. And let's see where was it big at? The U.K. R&B charts. It hit number one. Yeah, wow. there we okay. go. People, met, people in the UK but love... Nowhere else did it hit number one. On the US uh, Hot R&B, it hit number 92. Mainstream Top 40, number 23. So, you know, it yeah. did its thing. That's why yeah. his nickname is UKL Will. Is that why? Is that his nickname? <laughs> I thought it was Big Willer. A rap joke. Uh, for comparison... Men in Black. Well, I don't even see it's Hot 100. It hit number two on the U.S. mainstream top 40 and number one on the U.S. rhythmic charts. And it hit number one in quite a few countries. Wow. Australia, Canada, Europe. That's more than a country, but the Euro chart. (laughs) France, Germany, Hungary, Ireland, New Zealand, 
Scotland, Switzerland, UK. Number one for Men in Black. Zaire. Um, <laughs> I mean, it kind of speaks to when you compare that to Men in Black, to, to, to Black Suits coming, or Nod Your Head, whatever mm-hmm. it's called. It really kind of tells you, uh, gives you a sense of the, movie, the, the, the two movies. Because mm-hmm. like Men in Black 1 was a breakout blockbuster that helped establish Will Smith as a leading a leading actor in movies, and uh, and blacks and, and Man in Black Two feels kind of like an obligation. Yeah, Men in, the Men in Black song also won Will Smith a Grammy. Oh, I did not know that. Ooh, I did not best, know that. Best rap solo performance in 1998, Men in Black. Really? Yes. Is does that happen to contain what it be? Uh, I can find out very quickly. Um, that's cool. What did I say? To- so that makes Men in Black one not just an Oscar winner, but a Grammy winner. That's cool. Yes. So Men in Black one, it was up against uh, "Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Could See" by Busta Rhymes, "Ain't Nobody" by LL Cool J, mm-hmm. "The Rain" by Missy Elliott, and "Hypnotized" by Biggie. I can't stand in the rain. Definitely should have won. Sorry. Yeah, that's the that's stiff competition. Yeah, well, men in black won, so deal with it. Um, just going while we're on the topic of Will Smith, uh, he talked about uh, the <laughs> men in black sequels of, or while on the Tonight Show. I don't know if anybody's seen this quote. He says, "Quote: I had fumbled a few of my last sequels. You know, I wasn't happy with the men in black sequel." He doesn't specify which one he's talking about, if he's talking about two, if he's talking about both of them, but he was basically talking about Bad Boys, the I think Bad Boys for Life, mm-hmm. and talking about he didn't want to make a sequel to Men in Black just so it would be a cash grab. And again, he didn't specify which one's talking about, but, but like we know which one he's talking about. I'm pretty, pretty sure. sure it's this one. Maybe. Maybe. I... Um... Hmm. I want to, while we're kind of talking about music a little bit, I do want to mention that um, while not, uh, while I didn't win anything, um, this is a pretty good uh, score as well from Danny Elfman. Mm -hmm. That dun, 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 dun. Yeah. You know, that, that's a, not like you wouldn't, you wouldn't think when you just ask somebody, Hey, what's the men in black, the, you know, uh, theme score, you wouldn't really, I don't think it really necessarily jumps to mind, but having just watched these last, three movies uh i was like i I sat there thought you know that is that really is like a really simple good score that like now that i've now that i've watched these three movies in succession it's going to be kind of in my head um so i i think overall music's pretty good for these movies Mm. yeah exception of frank singing who let the dogs out (laughs) yeah yes (laughs) Yes, Frank the Pug is. No, nah, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. He was fun in the beginning. You guys, they over, they overdid him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, oh, who's that character? Oh, there's oh shit, ah, forget it. Anyway, uh, did you guys ever watch the Men in Black animated series? Negative. I did as a kid. I don't really remember a lot of it. Frank but... was a a regular character. <clears throat> And then I remember there being a big episode where Frank finally had his his Earth costume removed, you know. So you got to see what does Frank really look like, and all these other aliens, you know, like the guy in the beginning of Men in Black One, where he's like this big guy, he takes off the thing, and it's like a head 
with like a thing wrapped around it. And he's like a big tall alien, all these, you know, things opening up and it's in people's faces, you know? And so they, they, uh, uh, Frank loses his skin and he looks, and he's an alien that looks exactly like a, 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 the exact same. He's just an earth pug alien, but with tiny little antennas. <laughs> so like the, literally just like, it's just a brown skin that goes, you know, a brown tannish skin that goes around him. He's just a nor- like a little blue pug. I was nice. like, as a, as a 10 year old, I found that amusing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, kind of running out of things to say about this movie. Yeah, I don't really have anything else. I don't really have a favorite part. I don't know if any of you guys do. The only part I had that was that was good was the mail scene, was the mail yeah. room scene. Mm. Yeah, I was just about to say, when Will Smith beatboxes, that's my favorite part. <laughs> Him and Bismarcky. I can't do it, man, but that thing he does. Yeah, really I mean. I could probably do it. Oh sure, I'm sure oh, you could try it, Andrew. You do it immediately. Do it right now. String together a sentence. Beatbox right now, Andrew. Beatbox. You should be embarrassed. Yes. Yes. I am not. Glad we are recording. Good. How many of you all did it? I did. I can't do it. That's why I didn't do it. Do the Bismarck key part now. I would argue that you also didn't do it. Who? Andrew. Andrew. No. <laughs> um, in the gallery yeah. view for you guys, am I still above Andrew? Hang no. on, let me look. You're ah, above dang. Gary. Now you're above Gary. Right. I wanted to pull like a Brady Bunch at. thing and look down at him and judge. Yeah, but that only works for me. You didn't do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, well, should we move on to box office stuff? Sure. Oh, actually, uh, we can. I and I have a I have a tiny little thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna add in on that. Oh. So here we go. Uh, Men in Black Two debuted the weekend of July 5th, way back in 2002. Uh, we were a couple of 12 year olds. Andrew was uh, about 35 at that point. Uh, it finished with a three day opening of 52.1 million dollars, uh, which is not uh, which is pretty good. It's not necessarily great when you look at the fact that the first Men in Black 2 also made $51 million five years earlier. Mm. So not really like a big jump forward for the franchise, if anything, about even. And when you add inflation, it just kind of becomes not that much to look at. Um, That is a 4th of July weekend. So if you take its five-day weekend, uh, it's an $86 million open, which is... A little bit more respectable. Um, looking at what else came out that weekend, Men in Black opened number one. At number two, you had Mr. Deeds in its second week. Adam Mr. Sandler Deeds. Green. Adam Sandler Green at $18.4 million. You had Disney's Lilo and Stitch, which was in its third weekend, bringing in $12.6. At number four, you had Tom Cruise in Minority Report, $12.5. That's in its third week. And also opening that weekend, it's a time capsule to the early 2000s. It's like Mike with Lil Bow Wow and basically all, all the best NBA players. I'll tell you what, that whole, that whole list you just went through is like a nostalgia bomb. Oh, my God. Right? Of I mean, I remember, I remember watching all of these movies, and I remember watching... Even like Mike. Yeah, like Mike used to watch it all the time. 
Never like I it. wanted to be like Mike, but with football. Michael to Jordan did not football. And I wanted to be like Ricky. Make Ricky. Ricky. Uh, Ricky, Williams. Ricky Williams. No. He used to play for the Dolphins a long time ago. This was before his uh, <clears throat> debacle. Anyhow. Um, so if you look at it, one sequel in the top five that weekend. Uh, oh, yeah, with Men in Black 2. Uh, Men in Black 2 would finish with $190 million in the United States over its 10-week run. At another $251.4 million from overseas, and that gives you a worldwide total of $441.8 million unadjusted. If we look at the year 2002, uh, Men in Black 2 would finish in the number eight spot. Um, number one that year was Spider-Man. We've talked about this year very recently because we were here for the number two movie, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which you can go check out our Two Towers review and the rest of the Lord of the Rings if you're interested in that. Um, number three, the Attack of the Clones, Star Wars. Number four, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And number five, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, like I said, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but if you're interested in some other uh, honorable mentions for that year, Signs, which was the highest grossing original concept movie of that year. And uh, you have like Austin Powers, Goldmember, Ice Age, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, let me see here. We talked about Leland Stitch, Scooby-Doo, The Ring. So a lot of good movies in the year 2002. Uh, Men in Black, not necessarily one of the best. Um, best picture winner that year, Chicago. Uh, let me see. And um, really, that's kind of uh, it for Men in Black 2. No real standouts in terms of interesting stats. Um, at $441 million, it it did, as a total, bring in less than the original Men in Black. So not a, uh, not a, it's a movie that it's sort of a depreciating returns element when it comes to that one. Um, when you adjust for inflation, too, it only makes Men in Black 2 look less like a successful follow-up. Well, that's it for the box office this week. Oh, wait, wait, I forgot one more thing. I do have a unique thing. So Men in Black 2 had a uh, special re-release that in September now uh, of 2002. This was actually how I saw the movie for the first time. In September of 2002, Men in Black 2 released as a special double feature for three weeks uh, with Spider-Man. Sony owned both uh, movies, so they released it as a special double showing that mostly smaller town markets could see. I grew up in a town uh, called Paris, Arkansas, and our movie theater had only one screen. So they could effectively only show one movie a night, you know, and, you know, like, so they would show Spider-Man, you know, back then, and then they'd show the next movie at, at, in the 8 o'clock spot, and then a movie at, like, a, you know, 10, at like 10 o'clock, and then that was it. So, uh the double feature was cool because um, me and my friends, I didn't, I got to see Spider-Man earlier in the year. Didn't see men in black. Spider-Man wouldn't come out on home video until December of that year. So this was like the, the, the next, the only chance like I get to go see Spider-Man again. This is great. And they go, and and men in black two is going to be there. So it's like, okay, I'll go see men in black too. So it uh, ended up being really cool. That um, double, that double feature release um, netted Men in Black another six million dollars, um, in uh, in addition with its Spider-Man two. I guess technically, you have to, if you split it, it's another three million. But um, yeah, so cool uh, double feature. You don't see that very often these days. The movies nope. get released in a double feature format. 
Cool. No, that's not it. at all. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> I believe I won the last uh, letterboxed game. Did you? So I will be running it again, or I'll be running it this time. Uh, as usual, what we're going to do is take the average score of this movie on Letterboxd, um, and you guys are going to guess what you think it is on a scale of zero to five. Okay. Um, I got it pulled up here. Just a second. <clears throat> okay, so this has been watched by 165,000 members. And that's the only interesting statistic I have. So yeah. why don't you guys go ahead and guess <laughs> How many where you think this movie landed? Um, does it tell me that? I think so. It should say like reviews next to, uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Let me pull up my app. I won't look at Men in Black. I'll look at something else. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't see that. Either way, I remember Men in Black 1 being like 3.5 or something like that. I will say this is a 2.9. I will say 2.5. Uh, uh, I was going to do that, you jerk. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll price is right, you two six. Uh, this was almost going to be interesting, but now it's less so. So the winner with who is off by point one point. It's 2.7. So Garrett wins. Oh, snap. Garrett wins. Price is right. Sucker. Yeah, Price is right won that time. 2.75 is the weighted average based on 63,000 ratings. There it is. 63,000. There you go. Yes, 63,000 ratings. Um, All right. Seven people have this on their list of favorite movies. Wow. Seven. We should reach out. We should reach out to them and ask them why. And have you seen another movies? <laughs> and that means Admit, I don't know Men in Black on all of them. If you go to your letterbox profile, this is that section where you can pick up to four films to be your favorite. Mm-hmm. Oh. Seven oh. people have put that on their profile their as one of their top four movies of all now i'll admit the movies in my top four are uh not necessarily movies that i think are the best movies of all time they are literally just movies that are incredibly dear to my heart yeah mine is i treat it as a snapshot in history my current is parasite and then little women three times yeah i remember that i remember when (laughs) with all four of them i i gave up one slot for parasite i don't think i can put out because it's too much pressure that's why i put little women three times like one of mine one of mine is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And that's a and great that's actually a good one. If you asked me to make a list of like all time favorites, I it might not make the top four. Like I love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but it might not take the top four if I just had to sit down and like literally grind over what's my, my all time favorites. But if you're just asking me, David, what are four movies that like are your favorites and describe what led to your taste in movies? Last Crusade is a key member. I, I think that's great. That's kind of how I view it. Yeah. So somebody out there really likes Men in Black 2. Seven people. Yeah. 
So what are our scores? So I can average them up. I'll say 3.0. Wow. 3.0. Okay. 1.0. Whoa, that's low. <laughs> that's too low. Golly. Okay. That's too low. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a oh I'm gonna give it a I'm stuck between a two and a two point five. Out of nostalgia, I'll give it a two point five. You gotta give it at least you gotta give it that half point just for uh nod your head. Yeah. I do like this song I'm, a lot. I'm gonna give it a two. Oh man, this is gonna Oops, be a hang terrible. On. So we had what did we have? A three, a one, a two point five, and a two. Two point one is the wow. Sony sequel score Oof. for this movie. So Not I'll have to bad. round that down to a two. I don't Exciting. think it's that bad. You think it's a one, Nichols? That's unacceptable. <laughs> That's unacceptable. I'm gonna go through. Bang. I'm gonna go through your letterbox. I'm gonna figure out one star movies are. Andrew doesn't really have like a ranking system. He just kind of does it by own like belief, oh, which is he's fine. rated. He's rated. But like, I think he'd be because like on mine, a one is a bad. It's not a bad movie. It's just it's, poorly executed. It's poorly executed for a franchise like this. It should have been better. You can say that about a ton of movies. Yeah. yeah. Like, to give it a one star, I can and I will. <laughs> a one star? That is low, bro. This is a man who loves good Kong. Yeah, the only thing is, you're, you're a big Nolan void. No, no, you're you're done. You, the no, 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 no. The, the you're, really Kong, you're done. You're done. You're done. Tommy Lee Jones. What? Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Can Tommy we Lee. replace? So him? Tommy Lee Jones gets an automatic one star from you. Can yep, we replace yep. him? <laughs> replace me all you want to it still gets one star so so any movie gets a mic? gets an extra point just for having tommy lee jones no no no. this movie in oh. particular so you don't think will smith is good and this let's see here what is wrong with you i'm andrew nichols you are you have a bad opinion <laughs> you're andrew nichols and you have bad opinions hey i like will smith, smith. Just not in this movie. I, you're wrong. Sort by lowest first. Shots fired. Bang, bang. You're shooting blanks over there. This is going to be based on your, based on what I'm reading here. Based on your personal, wait a minute. No, that's ain't right. Based on your personal reviews, this is going to be the worst movie you've ever ranked. Your current lowest ranking is a three-star movie. So I'm going to ask you this right now. Hang on. Let me double-check. <laughs> because this is by admission your least favorite movie of 2019. You think that Men in Black 2 is worse and I'm less excited. enjoyable than this year's The Lion King, which you gave three and a half stars? At least they had good CGI. You know, yeah, this is an interesting feature that I didn't know existed. Of the, let's see, where'd it go? Andrew, you have logged 117 films on Letterboxd, and your lowest reviewed movie is Men in Black 2 of 117 movies. It's interesting. Goodness gracious. Very, very interesting. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I might just go back and re-rate re- re- uh, a lot of things. You need a scale. 
if, that's what I'm if, saying. You, you just throw them out randomly. If like, you're, if, you're, if you're, you're, uh, you hate Lion King. You hate it so much, and you gave it three and a half. That's better than average. average I gave it three and a half for the CGI. <laughs> CGI greater than Tommy to, Jones. We, that that it, we need to end this show before I kill him. I'm not Tommy Lee Somebody Jones give me one. a neuralizer. He needs his memory wiped. If only Tommy Lee Jones had been in The Lion King, you could have had a four and a half star film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need to end this. We need to end this. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm trying to figure out what everybody else's lowest rated movie is. Oh, I know mine. I'm pretty sure. Mine's Black Christmas or The Hustle. So, David's yours is lowest first come on <laughs> it's, it's kung pao into the fist <laughs> that movie's really bad but it's also really funny you're seven <laughs> or, 12, or whatever i was when i watched that movie you should read my review for paranormal activity which i think is also very low on oh that's gonna be a fun one because you're the only one that doesn't like that movie I'm the, the smartest person in the world. Thanks, <laughs> um, <laughs> Killing should also be ranked really low on there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Garrett's lowest rated movie is Oh, Ramona. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. And my lowest rated movie is Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. That was not good. Nope. Okay, so that was a fun detour. Yeah, let's go ahead and end this show. Um, you can find us online, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those fun places. We're also streaming pretty much everywhere. You can get podcasts, including the sounds tooth app, which is a Mm -hmm. app of local content creators here in Tulsa. So we Mm -hmm. like supporting that. Please listen to us there or any of those other places. And then like, and subscribe to our stuff. We actually just started. We put up a couple videos last week on our Facebook page and YouTube accounts those are fun, so go watch those. More to come, a heated trivia battle between Josh, or no, uh, Andrew and myself. They're, they're going to be released soon. Yep, more of that to come soon. So go do those things. We'll be back next time with Men in Black 3. So until then, mm. see you soon. <laughs>